Greetings. I'm Reverend Dr. F. Willis Johnson, and this is Collage, a podcast of unique combinations of people and conversation on various things that matter and make a difference. Dr. Kenan McKenzie DeFranza is the founder of Aspiring Spirit, LLC, which includes the well-known podcast, and she is also the inaugural director of the Generous Listening and Dialogue Center located at Tufts University. Her background and expertise includes civic engagement research and practice, organizational consulting, pre-K through 12 schools, and higher education professional development on all subjects uh, of unique importance to those areas like educational practice, policy administration, and leadership. She's authored numerous papers and peer-reviewed many publications. At the federal education level, she served as the executive director for the National Board of Education Sciences in the U.S. Department of Education for several years during the Obama administration. And she just doesn't study it and talk about it. She lives it. In her civic life, uh, she serves on numerous nonprofit boards and is a recent elected official to the uh, Beverly, Massachusetts School Committee. And more importantly, she is the sitting president of the North Shore branch of the NAACP. There's so many more things we could say and celebrate about this awesome academician and activist, but we just want to just get into the conversation. And I'm so honored to have you, Dr. McKenzie, joining us today on Collage. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. You made me sound very impressive. I appreciate that. <laughs> well, you are. You are. For full disclosure, I'm even more excited about the fact of not only what you're doing in your community uh, and what you've done across the years in your work, but this new leading exercise and endeavor that you are championing and captain as the captain of at the uh, Generous Listening and Dialogue Center at Tufts. Talk to us about this new center and your work as its executive director. Yeah, thank you so much. And I want to underscore this notion of generous with listening. If you've been familiar with dialogic spaces, we really emphasize the dialogue aspect of the work. And in recent years, as we've become more polarized, we realize we're really bad at the listening part of the work. So our main benefactor realized, even in her work in media, where she was highly successful in Turkey, was the CEO of a major media corporation, that the media actually was contributing to this. And so the media, you know, if we look at it agnostically, is a unilateral way of discussing and sharing information. There isn't like a, like a listening element of that. And she talked about her interest in learning more about both sides of discussions and initially came in with the lens of how am I going to fix this situation and how am I going to help? And she shares a story where one day she said, I was so tired and I just decided I was just going to sit there because I didn't want to cancel with this person I'd come to listen to and interview. And she said, I was so tired that I entered a state where I was actually just listening. And she talked about how much more she learned from that engagement versus asking questions and, you know, the things we learned to do, probe and all these things that show you're listening. She said, I just listened. And then she just kept talking and she actually became a courageous figure to me. The power dynamic shifted because all I did was listen. And so this kind of listening is what we're after, where the humanity behind the person starts to shine through. And it's not just about the transaction of getting them to give you information that you're after. 
or that you're expecting or that you need for something. But this idea that in this conversation, it's actually meant to help them unfold and share what they're comfortable with and whatever assumptions you walked in with, whatever agenda you walked in with gets to sit to the side a little bit and people can feel that energetic difference of feeling like there's a transactional list of things you need to get out of them versus the idea that you're really there to truly deeply listen to them. So you're inviting us into a space of imagining and practice where dialogue becomes a way of being versus <laughs> maybe some of the other ways in which it's lived into and actualized uh, currently. Is that a fair interpretation? I would say that. I don't like to throw the word spiritual around because I don't want to make it sound exclusive, but mm -hmm. I was speaking to one of our chaplains on campus and she said, well, it's a spiritual practice, isn't it? And for me, it is. Uh, I have three teenagers and I'm always aware of how the power differential between a parent and a child can make them believe there are certain answers they should give or clam up mm -hmm. around certain topics. And in our ever evolving roles as parents, if you're a parent or someone who works with children, you know, over time they have more complex things they might want to talk about. So one of my practices I have really taken on is just not setting what the topic is, just letting them talk, setting aside time to hang out. They decide what we're going to do when we're hanging out. And then I'm just listening. And sometimes it means silence to allow them to decide when to talk. But that ability to not monopolize what the topic will be and how much someone else gets to speak with, who decides to share uh, is a practice, uh, particularly when there's a power differential that lets you override the silence or decide when to stop and start a conversation. And it doesn't mean we don't respect time, right? There might be a need to think about the time limits you have to have a dialogue with someone, but trying to think more about how to be equitable in that time rather than assuming that the one with more authority or power or ability gets to always decide how that time will be spent and that there is more emphasis on how much listening can happen in that time for both parties. Well, it's interesting. You mentioned about um, you kind of refer to equity and also leading into this, this, this understanding of, of kind of the context that we live in where there is a rise of polarization uh, and there are many efforts, exercises, theories, and and um, uh, pedagogies around how do you depolarize. But then also uh, inherent in that is this idea of of inequity. And there was a recent report that came out uh, from uh, the Aspen Institute and their citizenship of an American identity, along with uh, another group called the Constructive Dialogue folks. Um, or actually it's a Constructive Dialogue Institute. Let me not insult their name and be so common. Uh, but uh, they talk about this work in the larger space of bridging. You know, we also hear it called deliberative dialogue and there's so many names, but, but I wanted to maybe hone back in on, again, addressing the polarization and this idea of inequity. So many people are troubled and challenged in this work and this practice because they don't necessarily believe that there's viability, that there's any kind of positive or, or useful result 
from these kinds of exercises. And they definitely oftentimes are either triggering or tripped up by the inherent social inequity involved with that. What is the center's work and this new framing? How does it lean and, 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 and maybe uplift or address these, these, these challenges? I think one of the things we try to emphasize is the objective of coming together in dialogue is not advocacy. And it is not to debate points to convince one another of where we stand or who has the better evidence or information. So sometimes in our attempts to depolarize, we think what we should do is just work even harder to provide the evidence to support our points. So when we enter a dialogue, we could actually have the agenda of being a really good communicator about what this evidence is that shows why our side is right, which means that our ability to listen will be truncated. So in our efforts to train our current student ambassadors, we talk about first seeing how even your own perceptions shift over time because who you're interacting with, because of what you hear, even if you look at it over the course of a few days. So even some of these positions we think we're so strongly holding on to, we shift on. And sometimes we have a different lived experience. We go to a new country, we have dinner with a different person. And we shift our perspectives. And it's not because that person came with a folder of evidence. So the experiential aspect of listening to me is likened to therapy almost. If anybody's ever been in therapy, sometimes the thinking is, why am I here? You're just sitting there listening to me. What's this all about? You know, so if you're doing pastoral counseling or psychological counseling, but the healing is in the being listened to. So that that person surfaces for themselves what those areas are that need healing, what is the trauma that's keeping them from engaging, from feeling heard and seen. And so sometimes just the listening to understand is the objective and does that healing. So it may seem like a very soft, maybe a low bar to say, let's come together and just understand one another and perhaps have that facilitated to ensure equity of voice, to ensure that the objective is shared, is really powerful. We often say, if you don't listen to yourself, you really don't listen well to other people, right? We talk about listening to self, others, and nature as part of our tagline, if you will, but we really mean it. We talk about how do you listen to yourself? Do you journal? Do you have silence? Do you meditate? Do you walk? And then you actually are better at understanding what may trigger you, what you find polarizing and why, before you enter a conversation. And so practicing that and understanding that those things that seem insignificant, like spending time listening to yourself and understanding this, watching your thoughts and meditation, those prepare you to be a better listener to other people. And then we amplify that and magnify that one person, one group, one team, one organization at a time, we can't help but transform situations that way. So this is a crowded space uh, in terms of the various theories and, and even just the operation. I mean, there's a lot of folks convening dialogue. There are a number of not only grassroots, but if we're honest, and, and I'm somewhat part of it with Bridge Alliance and, and other uh, networked uh, entities. There's a cottage industry 
<laughs> around this work. So how does this new work and the, particularly this 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 uh, curated space of the center, how does it plan to you know champion what I think is uh, needed? not only information and perspective, but also uh, begin to maybe model and infuse the, these these ideas into uh, applied practice. Right. So I would say that it is, in fact, a field that, thankfully to me, is full of people wanting to do good work and good intended work. I don't see the field as being in competition with one another, although we have to care about things like funding. We have to care about things like um, being able to account for what we're working on. But I see the entire bridging field as an extension of our family of people that we want to know more about, we want to partner with, learn from. And likewise, we expect that as a new center, as we learn and grow, that we're sharing that. We're sharing what we're finding. We're sharing best practices and ideas. So the evolution of this includes not only the pragmatic aspects of offering programming and training, but disseminating, researching, and really doing really honest reflections on what we're learning about what we're doing so that this is a learning enterprise. And there is going to be patience required to understand that you're not always going to necessarily get the kind of engagement all the time of everyone who participates, but there is this momentum, if you will, that you're seeking to develop a culture. And so we talk about first focusing on developing a generous listening culture wherever we are. So at Tufts University, we want students to graduate knowing what generous listening is, that they would have encountered us somewhere along that curriculum experience or co-curricular experience where they can say, I know what that is. And maybe I'm not going to get it right right now. Maybe I'll circle back to it when I have my first job, but it will be in my mind to know what that is. And that's the nature of this work. I think sometimes we want to know that we've gone in and diffused a situation right away, but this is not conflict resolution. It's not the debate club. This is actually a practice and it is about seeing for oneself sometimes what that feels like, and then getting that, you know, just sort of propelling it into trying it in new places. It requires being vulnerable. It requires having time and patience and making space for it. And so even in the work, we have to care about the process. How do we go about putting together convenings? Do we just come in and say, this is the syllabus, we're offering it, come one, come all, we're offering free pizza? Or are <laughs> we actually taking the time to listen on campus and find out where those gaps are among the many, many offerings we know are already there. Or where can we collaborate? Where can we actually honor work that's already happening and say, oh, we've listened to you and you're doing great things. We're not here to compete with you. How do we amplify your message through a convening that we host with you? So the listening has to be part of our process as a center. We can't talk about it and then impose our ideas. Uh, on others. And so that does take time and deliberation, but we hope to distinguish our role as people who actually try to practice and model what it is we are after so that we can be, you know, reliable in the way we experience it, 
when things don't work a certain way, we could be reliable in sharing that. Like we thought it could be like this or that, but maybe we didn't listen enough or maybe we listened but didn't do something with what we heard. Um, so it's a crowded space, but it's a, it's a great space. And our goal really is to get generous listening to be something that is culturally the norm, if not in full practice at minimum, the bare minimum is knowledge of it and what the goals of it is. Yeah, yeah. We're we're enjoying uh, learning and listening with Dr. Kenan McKenzie uh, DeFrenza. She is the director of the Generous Listening and Dialogue Center at Tufts University. And uh, she is someone uh, that we are excited to be uh, in partnership with in so many ways. For full disclosure, I am a part of that advisory board uh, of this emergent uh, space and work. And I am just I'm more than excited. You're right, sister. There is never uh, not enough uh, good ideas or good practices to go around. And so uh, like so many, I hope people uh, don't look upon uh, when we have new uh, initiates, so to speak, of, of, of people or organizations into the work as if, OK, well, you know, why are they here? No. Uh, if anybody knows anything, uh, if I may very quickly, uh, Tufts University and particularly it's uh, Tisch College is uh, a leader in the academic space around civic engagement and around uh, ways in which we not only support uh, civic and social life, but how we infuse it with uh, uh, and have it encouraged by the science and by the uh, greater understanding uh, in that employee. And the fact that uh, one of the ways in which we are leaning into activation of, of being even more uh, socially cohesive and uh, more honoring to the social contract that beyond our democratic understanding leads into our humane or Ubuntu uh, <laughs> connection. This work uh, celebrates that. And that's why I was just honored um, to, to make acquaintance of you. Uh, I've been a fan of the institution and uh, the chair of your board and one of the leaders in that in that space, obviously Peter Levine. But I am now even more on fire, not just because I want to celebrate what you're doing, but what you're offering up to us is not only a new, uh, new way to name, but to claim uh, this work. Uh, and so many of us, I think, have been excited about what's the possibilities of having our maybe our authentic selves and particularly the question and the means to wrestle around and with and reconcile and even uh, trans transcend what are the inequitable dimensions that um, malign this work. And I think generous listening as well as what you have experienced as uh, one who's been a leader in the forming of minds and, and, and spaces and, uh, and institutions bring a wealth of, of, of just genius and uniqueness that has been missing from the field. I'll stop short of, of what I really want to say, uh, <laughs> because also we have a unique diversity of expression and thought that sometimes is lacking in the field. And I'm so excited that your leadership and your presence and what the center is doing, not only on its main campus, uh, but what it plans to do or seeks to do as a national leader uh, is out there. As we look to to, to bring uh, this moment of time to close, how is it that we can either further support, engage, uh, uh, learn more from you and this awesome center at Tufts? Well, first, I want to thank you for agreeing to be one of our inaugural board members. 
because we definitely believe that thought partnering in this work from those who've been doing it is really essential. We also like a diversity of thought and to have an external perspective. We think that's really important. So we are building our muscle around things like our social media um, and other ways that we're sharing this message. And we certainly want to make sure that if there are ideas that individuals have, if there are ways that we can support having these conversations through, whether that's train the trainer models where people would like to know how to do this for themselves within their own organizations, we're happy to provide that kind of support. We also like to really encourage everyone to consider that third aspect of listening to nature and listening in nature. We did a Listening to the Earth event last year where we invited Indigenous elders to speak on this issue and how important nature is for reflecting back to us the state of affairs, either within ourselves or in the world. Um, and so if that is a new aspect of thinking for you, we would love for you to stay engaged and really you know, engage with our offerings that we share about those kinds of things. We have a newsletter, which actually features something I find really fun called a listening corner. And one of our staff members is a music historian who looks at music in the role of political discourse and activism. And so we always have some music for you in our newsletter to listen to and to contemplate uh, the ideas behind the lyrics. And so we really try to be multifaceted and um, you can certainly engage with us online, but certainly we try to keep our programming in a hybrid fashion to reach people beyond our campus and beyond our state. So I hope that others will stay tuned to that. Um, and we are findable on Tufts website under GLADC, which is our acronym G-L-A-D-C. Right on, right on. Well, and, and also information can be found uh, where this podcast is, is highlighted and broadcast from. Again, I thank you, uh, sister, and I can't wait. Eyes have not seen, ears have not heard, nor has it even entered into the heads or in the imagination of those what this great center and your leadership will produce. So thank you. And to you who are listening, join me again soon for this podcast and help make a more beautiful, colorful, and perfect collage.